there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. That's right. Uh, this is episode 72. Ooh, 7-2. That's right. Where uh, I, I feel like it's it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. I, th- I Personally, I think we're biased. I feel like every episode's a good one, mostly because we make them. It, it would be really funny if you were like, I think this one's a good one, and then we did the next one, you're like, this one's Zach. This one's not a good one. <laughs> I mean, I have my personal opinion about certain episodes, but... Wow. I know the puzzle episode was probably our best one. <laughs> the puzzle episode, that's truly a puzzle isn't it not let's uh get on to the actual show that people listen to the show for seth do you want to tell us what you've been recently playing because i know you've been recently playing some games yes i will so recently i've been playing a game called colony ship a post-earth role-playing game which was developed and published by iron tower studio which is the same company that developed Age of Decadence. Now, I've talked about Age of Decadence in the past, which, funny enough, the game takes place in the past, as it's a, well, I think it's like a, so Age of Decadence is a, takes place in like a roman time period but it's also the future because earth is destroyed and you're back at the technology of romans so they made a new game because i i was recently checking out their i was looking at like age of decadence and just looking at like i was like oh who made this again i was like oh yeah iron tower studio i was like well what are they up to now because i like to check in on studios uh after they've released a game that i've liked after a while and that's how i find games like lucas pope's new game and stuff like that by just clicking on the studio and seeing what they're doing so i did that with iron tower studio And I found that they were working on, or they just released Colony Ship, a post-Earth role-playing game, which they released on April 6th. It is uh, a futuristic sci-fi game that's similar to Age of Decadence, except it's in space. So you play on this generational ship. It's actually got a really cool concept. So you play as people that live on a ship and you have not you were not on the ship when it began and you will not be on the ship when it's at its destination because it's a generational ship. So it's flying such a distance that your your sole existence is just being there on the ship, procreating and then dying <laughs> because the objective is that enough humans get to the destination, which I, I think is kind of an interesting setting because it kind of puts you in a kind of almost like a confined space but it's obviously a very large ship so it's not super confined for a video game but it's like a confined like it's like a kind of a cool background to the story so i went through and i i played through as a character i named him simon i was originally going to call him simon with a y instead of an i then i accidentally put a d at the end and then i said "Eh, it's all right now he's Simon, and uh, he had a cool visor, and he wore gloves, and he had an af- like a uh, a five o'clock shadow. Well, Simon, he was a smart man who lived in a place called the Pit. The Pit was not there's there's the habitat, which is where the people who have means live, and then there's the Pit, which is the free city. You also don't have to deal with politics when you live in the Pit, but you have to live in a shipping container. Simon, what he did was he was a smart guy who was very intelligent, and he. Fixed computers and electrics, electronics and stuff like that. So then one day, uh, Simon left his container with his rifle 
Actually, he left it with a shotgun because I forgot to pick rifle for my starting equipment, <laughs> even though I only took rifles as my skill, because it's a heavily skill-induced game. <laughs> then I went to the store and immediately sold my crappy shotgun that I bought and bought a rifle because I knew I needed a rifle. So then I had my rifle, and I went and I stopped some thugs from beating down this store shopkeep and i recruited this guy named evans evans and i we went off and we went to this armory that we got a key to from our guy i think his name was like whiskey joe oh his name was tanner so tanner gave us a key to the armory that wasn't looted back during the great mutiny so we went to this this armory we went through and there was some like slag rats that we had to get around and we were sneaking through and we were investigating now mind you this is an isometric role-playing game so it's kind of like um from an aerial view as you watch what's going on to Simond and his friend. And while we were investigating the uh, armory, we came across some scavengers that we tried to sneak by. We could have gotten the jump on them and just murdered them, but we didn't because Simond tries to be a good person. And what happened was Simon got detected by the scavengers, and that's where Simon and Evans died. And it didn't save the game up until that point. So Simon, <laughs> that is the end of your story. <laughs> yeah, so Simon lived for approximately maybe an hour of my control and that was it yeah it was a good it was a good game uh for uh simon and well, i'm really glad so so you may be wondering like that doesn't seem like that was you know like that that's it like you know could you have saved yeah i could have saved like there's no real safe scumming though like it really when you die, it kind of is just like you can either load a saved game, hope if you save before combat or you save before every game in combat, then you can save some, but it doesn't auto save for you, mm -hmm. which is part of the fun, right? And so then, or then you quit, you make a new character. And that's like, I'm so glad that they brought, like, that's Age of Decadence. Age of Decadence is a very hard game where you die, you can die pretty easily. And I'm so glad that they brought it to just be a game in space. So it's just like playing Age of Decadence, except instead of being in ancient Rome, you're in space. It's amazing. I love it. I'm going to, because now I could just, I'm going to roll up some other guy and have an adventure with them and just see, you know, maybe I'll start in the habitat instead if I pick the right choices in the beginning. Maybe I'll align with a faction and I'll start somewhere else and I can explore a different section of the ship. Maybe I'll try to roll up Simon's brother. I, I don't know what Simon's brother's Simon's brother's name would be. Maybe Byron Byrond. I'll just name a bunch of Mons. Byrond. Simon, Karan. It'll be fun. That's the story of Colony Ship, a post-Earth role-playing game. If you like difficult role-playing games that have a lot of mechanics and lore, I recommend them. Uh, both Colony Ship and Age of Decadence. Both of them have a lot of skills, a lot of lore, and they are both very, very, very difficult. Nice. So, Zach, what have you been playing? Seth, recently I've been playing Batman Arkham Asylum, which is a 2009 game developed by Rocksteady Studios and published by Eidos in conjunction with Warner Brothers. Now, I got this game back in 2012, and I have never played it. <laughs> oh, and Arkham Asylum is a really good game. It is, as I've learned. I actually, I've played through it all this week, and I beat it. It is the first time I ever played. I really, really enjoyed it. The yeah. sequel, um, Arkham City. Arkham, no, is Arkham City yep. the sequel? Yes, and it is. Arkham, I'm playing that Ar now. It's Arkham City, Arkham Knight, and then Arkham Origins. No, Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, Arkham Origins, and then Arkham Knight. I'm gonna say Arkham Knight's really bad, being that I have like 20, 20 hours or more in the other three games. 
and only 89 minutes in Arkham Knight. Anyway, uh, I really like Arkham Asylum. For those who don't know, it is a Batman game, hence why it's called Batman Arkham Asylum. And uh, I will be honest, I'm not, I think out of all the DC characters, I think actually Batman's one of my favorites, but I'm not a big DC fan. I'm more of a Marvel fan, but I did really, really like Arkham Asylum. I really liked the combat. Um, It's all counter based. So, you know, someone tries to punch you, you have to kind of counter them and punch him back it's very heavy in punching as batman doesn't use like guns he uses gadgets i also just really liked the atmosphere especially the fact that the dc animated universe voice actors from the show batman the animated series which i grew up watching all reprise their roles uh, so kevin conroy voices batman mark hamill voices the joker and arlene sorkin voices harley quinn and i think this is actually the like second to last time she ever voiced harley quinn before she retired from the role it's really great hearing those voices again i I grew up with the animated series so i can kind of like close my eyes and pretend i'm watching an episode though i won't do that because the game is uh you have to really be paying attention sometimes when you're fighting people so not a great idea to close your eyes but i am currently playing arkham city the sequel um which uh kevin conroy and mark hamill both return in arlene sorkin though did retire from the role of harley quinn so uh, I believe she's replaced by Tara Strong. I, I enjoy Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. I really liked, I played Arkham Asylum. I want to say I think I played it back in 2009. And it, it was a really, really like benchmark game for the time. Yeah. And I know there's like a, there's a moment where you're go- fighting Scarecrow and yep. it is just like super, super trippy. And that moment in the game really like stuck out at me is like, like a moment where I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Like, this is just like the graphics are really good. I think the thing that I most like about Batman Arkham Asylum and Arkham City and the, that series of games is that it's the kind of like the opposite of like a stealth game. It's like a predator game. So, like, even in, like, stealth games like Splinter Cell, you're still hiding from the enemy, and you're trying to do your objectives and maybe secretly take them down. And there's a lot of stealth games out there where you're just, like, covering, and you're just trying to get from objective to objective. Batman Arkham Asylum, you just feel like you're stalking these people. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. You're, like... I, I don't care if you find me, I'll kill you. I'll, well, I won't kill you because Batman doesn't kill people except the people he kills. But except <laughs> <laughs> when he does. It, it, on just occasionally but like it's like it doesn't matter if you find me i'll just fight you all at once but i can like it, it's humorous to like climb under the vents and like using the bat claw and stringing people up oh yeah i do like how the characters like the enemies and such will banter with each other so like if you are picking people off you'll hear them talking to each other about how they're like being stalked by batman they're like is batman really in the room with us and they're like freaking out the whole time it 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 just adds a lot to the game to kind of because because batman is a threat he's not like he's the one in charge when things like that are happening i never felt like mind you i didn't play on the hardest difficulty i just wanted to play the game and enjoy it but batman is never in danger during any of those moments i mean even when characters have a gun you usually can fight them pretty easily (laughs) i mean because he's bad batman so yeah i do think that's kind of fun about batman is that he's kind of yes he's a superhero but he also kind of comes off as like like a slasher (laughs) you know like he goes around stalking people and like stringing them up as opposed to you know murdering them well yeah because that's well so so because there's a distinction and this is a big distinction that we need to make, or at least I like to make, is that Batman is not a superhero. Superhero implies that you have powers 
and Batman is what I like to call a costume vigilante. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. He is not a superhero. He is a man who can afford <laughs> some very expensive right. equipment. And I know we could get the, all the hate where Batman's got an intelligence or what have you. Batman fans will yell at us that he is a superhero. But Batman and Rorschach, they're costume vigilantes. Iron Man is just different because he, he doesn't necessarily have superpowers, but he also doesn't hide the fact that he's Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. He like goes around and is like, by the way, I'm Tony Stark. Anyway, this isn't a Batman episode, though we definitely could do a Batman episode because there's plenty of Batman video games, not just Arkham, but it goes back. Exactly. There's actually one of the most hardest Sega Genesis games is a Batman game. Oh, is that the Batman animated series game? Batman and Robin. oh yeah that one is that one's tough that one's tough there's a bunch of batman games for the sega genesis actually i feel like all the batman and the spider-man games and and even maybe some of the x-men games for the sega genesis are all the same game that's just free skin yeah that's true so anyway anyway so our topic today we're back to talk about arcade games as I'm, i'm sure everyone is super excited to hear um so we're well they're gonna especially be those even more GoldenEye fans especially those golden eye fans uh they're gonna be even more excited to hear when they hear about our next episode <laughs> <laughs> but uh so uh we're talking about arcade games again this time we're gonna be talking about fixed shooters now we talked about 3d rail shooters back in episode 33 so if you haven't listened to that episode and you are interested in some knowledge, head on back to episode 33 to hear us talk about 3D rail shooters. But there's also so many more types of shooters out there for the arcade. Shooters are also known as shoot-em-ups, or as Zach likes to say, shmups. It's not just me who likes to say that. That is like... I know, everyone likes to say shmups. Everyone says that. Shooters themselves are a staple arcade game that's been around. They've been around for quite a while. There's various subgenres, such as, as we discussed, 3D rail shooters, or regular, I guess not 3D rail shooters, just regular old rail shooters. Can you have a regular old rail shooter that's not a 3D rail shooter? Well, anyway, but also running guns. Vertical scrolling shooters, horizontally scrolling shooters, isometric scrolling shooters, and so on and so forth. Each of these subgenres ultimately deserves their own type of uh, episode. But today we're going to talk about kind of like the grandpappy of all of the shooters, and that's the fixed shooter. That's right. Now, to kind of understand where the roots of the shooter genre can be really emanates from, you would have to go back all the way to the one of the first ever video games, Space War, with an exclamation point. Space War! Space I guess War! That's really how you say it. Which is the 1962 game for the system of the PDP 1, which was a very rudimentary computer system that had a monitor, like a screen that resembled, in my head, a porthole from a ship. It could have one. I mean, that wasn't... So the PDP was a mini computer, which for those who are new to the show, a mini computer is very big. <laughs> they they, right. are, they are mainframes. This particular version of the PDP, which was owned by MIT, did have a terminal monitor, which was this kind of like, does look like a porthole from a ship. But a lot of PDPs actually back then 
used to run on teletypes, which were printing monitors. So you wouldn't see a screen. It would just print out everything. Paper. Yeah, that's everything. great. I want to play Zork on a teletype. There's videos of people playing Zork on a teletype, and it is it is obnoxious <laughs> because it's very they're very loud. They sound like typewriters going like ham. <laughs> Many trees died in order to play Zork. Well, anyway, in Space War! Exclamation point! You play as a spaceship in a top-down perspective, and you shoot at another spaceship hence the war uh, however that game is often cited as the trendsetter for the genre that is shooters and ultimate leading to taito's space invaders so space invaders was created in 1978 by tomohiro nishikado for the taito corporation nishikado spent a year designing the game and also designing the hardware that was necessary to play it uh, because at the time, microprocessors were a very new thing to be in the arcade market. So he had to design the hardware to run this game because the hardware available wouldn't run it. The game was reportedly inspired by a mechanical game called Space Monsters that Taito had released in 1972. Nishikado also said that he was inspired by a dream he had where he saw school children waiting for Santa Claus and they were then attacked by aliens. That's a rough dream. I wouldn't want to have that dream. I do like that he woke up and he was like, that would be a good video game. I, I mean, has that video game been created yet? I don't know if that one exactly has but it should he also created he also cited breakout from atari as being another inspiration now space invaders features the player controlling a tank-like shape and above you are a row of four bases which act as buffers against incoming fire from the top of the screen descends five rows of the titular space invaders who range in all different shapes and sizes every so often a ufo will zip across the screen which you do have to shoot in uh, you can gain more points. It's optional to shoot it, though. It's not a mandatory thing. One of Space Invaders' defining factors was the fact that the enemies would speed up when there was less on the screen. Which, as a fun fact, Nishikado was unable to program the game to do just this, which he wanted it to do. He specifically wanted to program the invaders to speed up. However, when he was working on the game, he realized that the effect could just be done due to the hardware limitations. Essentially, when the processor is rendering the frames of animation, when there are a lot of sprites on the screen, it renders it very slowly. And as each one is destroyed and no longer on the screen, it frees up space in the processor and renders the animation faster, so thus the characters speed up. And this really, I think, became kind of the... What I would say is like the defining thing about Space Invaders, where if this feature, I think, wasn't in Space Invaders, I still think it would have been a very popular game. But I, I, I know I've heard stories of people talking about the first time they played the game and how when it sped up, it just made the game that much more addicting because as it got down to that last guy who's like rocketing toward the bottom, um, it makes you really frantic. And then when you lose, you want to pop another quarter in to try the game out again. And Space Invaders is one of those arcade games that that uh, gets ported to everything as well. Yes. And has like, you can buy Space Invaders from Target as a mini arcade cabinet today for 20 bucks. Uh, you can also, you know, they, they it's been replicated on various different platforms, various different devices. Oh yeah. And that's yeah. one of the things is because it's a very simple game. And part of its simplicity is that it could take up a very small amount of memory w w in order for a computer to run it. And some people have even put it into the boot sector for discs like on a floppy disk you can get there's a very limited amount of space and you could get space invaders or at least a truncated version of space invaders into the boot sector so that when you put in your floppy disk the game would immediately start space invaders 
faster yeah. than it could even boot the OS. So without getting too high level of uh, understanding of how floppy disks work, for those who are listening and have no idea what a boot sector is or even how a floppy disk works, uh, floppy disks are made up of different sectors of space um, that's allocated on the actual magnetic platter that's in the disk. So when you are loading a floppy disk, the read head for the drive is looking for the boot sector to know where to start and it's a very 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 small amount of space it's just one small section of the whole disc and you can fit all of a version of space invaders into this section it's minuscule but functional so it's a fun fact about space invaders if you're interested in learning more i recommend checking out the 8-bit guy on youtube we talk about him a lot mostly because he is smarter than us and talks about it in a much more clear way So mostly if we're talking about it, it's probably because we listened to him talk about it. Now, Space Invaders was released in an upright arcade cabinet. It also featured a cocktail table variant, which are the type of uh, arcade machines that are flat surfaces and you could sit at and have food and drink on it. Generally, they have uh, a a glass uh, table, like a glass tabletop that covers the entire board itself. Yeah, the controls are usually tucked underneath the one of the under the lips uh and yeah you put the controls up under so you don't spill anything on them the graphics with four space invaders were fairly simple but taito had the idea to reflect the game's crt onto a mirror with some artwork behind it which made the game appear to have a graphical background using that mirror trick which one of the many reasons why i'm a fan of a classic arcade game because they would build in mirror tricks like this regularly like they would put mirrors into arcade cabinets to make a better experience in the arcade which you couldn't replicate at home because you didn't necessarily have the mirrors even like the x-men arcade game had mirrors set up in order to be able to uh, extend the screen out further and have it to be a better experience now i think it's interesting as well that some of the games like i think pac-man had a cocktail table variant and some other arcade games get these like cocktail table variants i think those they're they're really cool they're just great to have like perfect for like the basement or like uh for going to a bar to be honest when i think of a cocktail table variant arcade i i think i used to call them the like pizza restaurant version because i feel like there were at least two or three pizza restaurants that i've been to growing up that always had a miss pac-man cocktail table variant cabinet Mm, which is a really common one it was always like tucked in the corner there was never anyone playing it it was always on the high score was usually the same dude's name (laughs) so the drivers yeah it's the driver (laughs) now uh space invaders ended up being a massive money maker from taito with over 100,000 units being installed by the end of 1978 in japan alone by 1979 this was up to 300,000 units in japan and they were averaging around 10,000 yen which is 46 dollars in 1979 money right yeah $46 a machine in 100 yen coins by the end of 1979 there were over 75 750,000 units installed worldwide 400,000 of them being in Japan alone and in 1982 the game had grossed 3.8 billion dollars with a b it's a pretty impressive for a, a very simple game <laughs> yeah yeah now there's an urban legend that the popularity of space invaders led to a 100 yen coin shortage 
in Japan, which is fun to really think about, but actually it was due to the 100 yen coin simply being in low production during those years. Arcade machines are also usually emptied at the end of the night by the owners, and those coins would be used to be placed back into circulation by the new owners of them, those who owned the Space Invader machines. Yeah. So Space Invaders probably didn't lead to the 100 yen coin shortage. It's fun to think that it did, but ultimately that 100 yen coin shortage happened because of other factors such as them not being produced now space invaders was a great game but arguably a better game at least to little old zach was 1979's galaxian uh, which was from namco galaxian was developed as a way to compete and capitalize on the success of space invaders the game features somewhat similar gameplay, if not like a carbon copy of, of Space Invaders gameplay, but it does have some major differences. Uh, for one, there actually is no more buffer walls that are um, were featured in Space Invaders. Another thing is that the aliens will occasionally break ranks and descend on you and attempt to smash into your ship. The game also features more colors than Space Invaders and also had this like star field effect as the ship was uh, moving and fighting against these aliens. So like, I mean, this these were still fixed shooters, so your 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 ship was static and not able to move besides left and right, but it did have this like star field behind you, um, which was a nice little effect added. Galaxian is just a great name for a video game. It, it's very like seventies, eighties, like sci-fi. Definitely a like a a great great 80s beginning of the 80s era name for a, a game galaxian now galaxian was a huge success with it becoming the second highest grossing arcade game of 1980 less machines were sold however than space invaders but it still managed to sell 90,000 units worldwide by 1982 now galaxian was followed up by a sequel in 1981 called galaga which is widely regarded as one of the quintessential games of the golden age of arcade video games the sequel featured new enemies such as boss galaga that could actually abduct your spaceship uh what's cool about boss galaga is after he abducts your ship you will lose a life but if you respawn the ship will be on the enemy side and if you kill boss galaga you'll claim the ship back and then you'll have two ships and it's double the firepower Ooh, yeah. Galga is also a great name for a video game. It is. I think there's an, another game should mention, the Centipede. Oh, yeah, Centipede, yeah. Which is like Space Invaders, but instead of multiple aliens coming down in rows, there is bushes and one giant alien that comes down <laughs> and attacks you as it like weaves through the bushes as it were. It's a centipede. It's what it is. It's the game is called Centipede and it's a centipede. And you shoot the centipede and you try to piece, pick it apart before it gets to you at the end. Which I feel is a, like is a more aggressive Space Invaders. It is. Just another fun fact is I often get Galaxian and Galaga confused. However, the way I remember the difference is in Galaxian, the spaceship kind of looks like the USS Enterprise and in Galaga, it looks like an x-wing yeah see how i remember the differences i don't <laughs> so i just go to the arcade they have galga i play galga and i go ah oh, this is a great game that i've played before and if they have galaxian i play galaxian i know that they're two separate games i just can't tell you the difference between them beyond what we talked about i didn't even know that there was a boss galga to be honest so by the mid 1980s shoot 'em ups were kind of the name of the game these were the 
if you go into an arcade, you're going to play a shoot 'em up. You're going to see a shoot 'em up. In 1983, it saw release of Xevious by Namco, which is regarded as one of the first scrolling vertical shooters, where the screen would actually scroll as your ship fought off waves of enemies. Xevious also featured a unique to the time ability where your ship could bomb objects that were stationed on the ground. Um, so you would encounter like bases and stuff that were shooting up at you, and you could drop a little bomb on them and blow them up. Well, Xevious performed well, with sales of around $11.1 million in the U.S. by the end of its first year, and the Famicom copy sold 1.26 million copies in Japan, and the NES copy sold 1.5 million, which is one of the reasons why a lot of arcade games ported to systems that could run them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because you, as a kid, be exposed to them, and then you would say, I want to play that game all the time, and you could. And and Xevious actually was kind of a killer app for the Famicom, where it actually, the Famicom saw boosts of about two, 2 million or so sales in the year Xevious came out for the Famicom, because people wanted to buy the system to play the game. <laughs> they didn't have the system. They found out you can have the system at home with Xevious, and they were like, hey, that's a deal right there. So Konami decided that for their vertical shooter, they were going to change up the landscape a bit. You see, in the arcades, all the shooter games, be it fixed shooters or vertical shooters, were fairly serious in tone. Uh, they mostly featured wars between alien races or even recreated World War II battles like 1942. There were even some scrolling shooters that weren't ships. They were like people on the ground, uh, like Ikari warriors, where you played as a soldier marching in the front lines. Konami decided that they were going to create a game called Twinbee, which is entirely different from all these because Twinbee is what later gets called a cute up Ooh. It features cartoon-like graphics and stars an anthropomorphic spacecraft known as Twinbee. Now, the game plays similarly to other scrolling shooters and sh uh, other shooters at the time. Its cute design, though, was a welcome change for players, and in 1985, it was listed in Game Machine Magazine as the third most successful table arcade unit of the year. Wow. Good job, Twinbee. Yeah. Um, there were some other cute-em-ups that came out um, a little later. One was called Parodius which was a parody of Garadius. So Parodius, Garadius. Garadius was a shooter. Parodius is a parody of Garadius. Oh, I, I get a little bit of it. They were made by the same company. In the 1990s, as with everything, comics, movies, and video games, things had to get edgier. A new type of shooter hit the market called the Bullet Hell. These were games that featured similar gameplay to other vertical and fixed shooters, but this time, there was a massive number of bullets and missiles on the screen, to the point where sometimes it looks like that's all that's on the screen, besides maybe your character at the very bottom. One of these games, and one of the first ones, was a game called Batsugan, which was developed by Toaplin in Japan. The bullet hell genre did see huge popularity with the indie game scene of Japan back in the late 1990s and in the early 2000s, primarily with a series called the Toho Project. Now, the Toho Project is a series of games produced by a one-man Japanese development team. The sole member of this team, Junyan Zun Ota, independently developed, programmed, did the graphics, did the writing, and the music for 
17 mainline Toho Project games and its five spinoffs between the years of like 1997 and 2019. Wow. Uh, The series actually received a Guinness World Record in 2010 as being the quote-unquote most prolific fan-based shooter series ever created. Um, And the Toho Project games are pretty much what you'd expect from a a bullet hell shoot-em-up, with the main difference being that they're based on uh, legendary creatures from Japan being portrayed as anime girls oh uh, i i didn't include it in the notes but i guess a more recent bullet hell shoot up that someone might be aware of is jamestown which is a uh, fantastic have you heard of jamestown no does it have anything to do with the jamestown oh that's jonestown no it's not jonestown it's Jamestown. It's called Jamestown, The Legend of the Lost Colony. It came out in 2011. Uh, like Roanoke? Like Roanoke. It actually takes place in 17th century British colonial Mars, where you play as colonists of the Jamestown Martian colony in 17th century Mars. This is on the arcade? It was a PC game. So you're, you play as a, um, a, a, a Jamestown colonist as you have to fight off the British. <laughs> I have it. We should play it someday. It's a, it's a really fun game. So vertical shooters and fixed shooters, I think um, I think they're a fantastic piece of gaming history. There's uh, and there's plenty of them out there. Certainly some that we might even focus on in later episodes, such as Centipede and Millipede, which we didn't really talk about too much in this episode, but um, Seth reminded me of them, so they're fun. They are fun, and I, I think we'll we'll come back and and talk more about the different types of vertical, horizontal, isometric running guns. We didn't talk any like Sunset Riders is technically I think a running guns. I love Sunset Riders. I guess is it it's a shooter game, but it's kind of also like a beat 'em up game. It is. It makes it's it great. more of like a I think it's more of like a running gun though, like uh, Contra. We can talk about all of these games and more in an episode of Classic Gaming Brothers coming close to you your ears coming close to you it's sneaking up on you like batman you may in fact be listening to this episode after you've listened to later episodes about episodes about contra maybe you're like oh i gotta go back and listen to the fixed shooter episode well welcome back so that's gonna be our fixed shooters episode we'll talk more about shooters I, shooters you you can't have an arcade without having shooters so and there's a lot of shooting in arcade games and in regular video games so we will uh we'll definitely be bringing up the various different sub sub genres of shooters again so hopefully you all enjoyed this episode zach since you are so excited you know i just was playing recently before i just am looking at who the developer i played beethoven the second for the super nintendo that is a tough game (laughs) yeah i think that was one of those games where like the lion king game for the sega gen so just a quick tangent a bunch of games back in the 90s developed for like super nintendo and sega were made intentionally very very hard because nintendo realized they could get more money from rentals than they could from sales so nintendo and other companies realized they could get more money from rentals than they could sales so they intentionally made games hard because when they were rented they wouldn't be able to be finished within a weekend which was the average time frame of a rental those this is really scummy yeah yeah Yeah, it's really scummy slimy slimy guys yeah well beethoven the first level was hard for me but that Maybe also because I wasn't really playing it on the right controller. But anyway, yeah, that's what does. I just saw your developer. So why don't you go ahead and go first? So the game that I am excited about by waiting or passing on is a game called The Artful Escape, which is being developed by a company called Beethoven and Dinosaur and published by a company called Annapurna Interactive. It's scheduled to be out sometime in 2021. In the game, you play as a musician named Francis Vendetti, who on the eve of his first performance 
must battle the legacy of a dead folk legend in the cosmic wanderings of his own imagination. It looks like a very cool, very psychedelic inspired adventure game with lots of like yellow submarine visuals. What I really like is some of the artwork looks almost like hand painted, which is very um, it's a very beautiful looking game. I do love adventure games. I don't actively like, I, I, I'm probably not as into them as Seth is, I think. I definitely want to put this down as a weight, but I think Seth might be interested in this game as well. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up in this episode was so Seth can be aware of it and potentially put it on his wish list as well. Is that what you're doing? I didn't even really listen to you. You just said adventure game, and I said okay. I mean, the only person I really listen to is just my the sound of my own voice. Speaking of which, I'm excited about buying, waiting, or passing on a game called The Dark Side Detective Fumble in the Dark, which is which is being developed by Spooky Doorway, where it is the sequel to the Dark Side Detective game, which where you play a detective in pixely graphics and you have to investigate bizarre and occultish cases. So in Dark Side Detective, the game is broken up into nine micro cases that you have to investigate around the Twin Lake City, which is the setting for the game. It's a humor adventure game type situation where you go through and they're generally the... There's like kind of like it's very easygoing, kind of casual kind of humor invested into it. Based on what I've played so far of the original game, uh, the puzzles aren't particularly difficult uh, and you can kind of progress through the game at a, a pretty good clip if you want to. This The sequel will include six more chilling cases where you will be re-entering Twin Lakes, which is America's 34th most haunted city. And you will be joining once again Detective McQueen as he uh, goes goes through and risks his life and pixelated limb to solve macabre mysteries that plague the poor town. It is there there it's a fun game. It's not as I so I there's like a skill level for my adventure gaming tastes for me to like really really like an adventure game. It's got to be just difficult enough to cause me some thinking, but not too too difficult for me to get frustrated, but not too easy for me to quickly blow through everything. Dark Side Detective from what I remember of playing, I should probably go back and re play the original it was a little too easy for me so i was kind of blowing through all of the stuff which then sometimes just makes it kind of just bores me a little bit but i'm willing to go through and play through dark side detective again and then check out dark side detective uh, fumble in the dark the fumble in the dark will be out on april 15th of this year i would though however put it down as a wait and kind of uh i gotta make sure i get through the mood of i gotta get into the mood to play dark side detective and then i gotta play dark side detective and then I got to get through Dark Side Detective. And then by that time, I don't even know what month or year it's going to be. I may then go and check out Dark Side Detective, A Fumble in Dark. Maybe by that time they may even have another sequel. But because I'm, I'm not the most speediest video game player. Now, it's time to uh, talk about all the things that we usually talk about at the end of these episodes. Yes, it is. Let's say you want to listen to us, contact us, and support us. There's plenty of ways you can do that. To listen to us, I'm going to make the joke again. I'm going to say you're already doing that. I think we're going to make that joke every single time. Let's say you want to tell people how to listen to us. I think that's what we should say. If you want to tell people how to listen to us, you can tell them that we're available on all available podcasting applications that are out there, be it Amazon, be it Spotify, be it iTunes, if, if, it, if it has podcasts, we are there. However, if there's a podcasting application that we are not on, you can 
reach out to us and let us know, and we'll be glad to get on that podcasting application just for you. That's a classic gaming promise. In order to do that, in order to contact us, you have to first uh, do a couple things. One, you need to make sure you have an email client because that's that's useful. Second thing you need to do is you need to go to our website, classicgamingbrothers.com. On our website, we have a contact form, and all you need to do is just type in your name and email and just some random comment that you might have about this podcast and it will fly off through the internet the magic of the internet through all those series of tubes and it will arrive in our inbox where we will read it alternatively if that's not something that you are really interested in doing you can also send us an email directly so you can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or classicgamingbrothers at classicgamingbrothers.com majority of the time seth reads the emails and he just kind of tells me that people have sent them i do try to get in there i think more frequently than seth thinks i do i do try to log in at least once every other day or so <laughs> there's other ways to reach out to us as well if, if email is just not your cup of tea you can uh, contact us via any of our social media that we have we have a facebook we have an instagram and we have a twitter our facebook and instagram really easy to remember they're both classic gaming brothers our twitter is cg brothers pod it was just i think it was a character limitation that i had when i was creating the account apologies for that but you can reach out to us on any of those platforms and we'll be glad to get in touch with you and let you know um that we we hear from you and we are excited that you reached out to us uh, as a reminder, anyone who does reach out to us will enter into a chance to win a free video game. So free, be sure to reach out to us, and we will uh, we'll get, we will put your name in the in the in the hat that we have. The, it's a, it's a big hat, and it's full of video games, just all of the video games. So let's say now you want to support us. Well, there's plenty of ways you can support us. First off, you're already supporting us because you are listening to our podcast, and and that that does actually support us. Uh, another way you can support us is you can uh, like and subscribe and, and ring bells, do anything you can with your podcasting application. A lot of podcasting applications allow you to like like and subscribe and such. So be sure to do that. That that does help us and that does go a long way. Uh, another way you can support us is you can like us on our social media that I provided earlier, or you could reach out to us on our Twitch. Our Twitch is twitch.tv forward slash classic gaming brothers. Uh, Seth and I are trying to go live every every few weeks or so with uh, a new game. We recently played through Buddy Simulator 1984. Uh, it was a great time, and uh, we are still coming up with an idea for our next game that we're going to play. Obviously, the best way to support us is just telling people about the podcast, letting people know that you listen to us and that you're a fan of the podcast. That, that does help. We really appreciate it. And uh, lastly, we do have a store. Uh, don't feel like you have to buy anything, obviously, but you know, if you are interested, you want to have a t-shirt with uh, our logo on it, or you want to have a mug, they are available. Um, so just check out our store. If anything interests you, make sure to grab it. And uh, yeah, that's everything. That's it. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to hit end on the recording right now. Um, and before I do though, I always like to check Seth. Got anything else for me? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. You know, right. you know what I really like is the Space Invaders like music, which is like the sound of the aliens, where it's like bump, bump, bump.